0: Developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake. I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach. and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Today's special guest is Andrea Sampson. She's an executive speaker coach, communication expert and business strategist. But before we get a chance to speak with Andrea... It's the Leadership hacking News In today's news we explore why storytelling is so important in business Humans have always told stories and they are a vital part of our daily communication But stories have meaning beyond entertainment value In fact storytelling is a strong business skill and when it implemented effectively it can really boost business in a number of ways such as improving customer loyalty creating a strong marketing strategy increase in profit as well storytelling conveys purpose and businesses with purpose are noticed and win the loyalty of customers more readily so it's not enough to just have a product or a service that can solve a problem your company needs to stand out the most successful companies have deep and thoughtful stories behind them that stir a sense of a larger purpose and meaning to what they do such as Google or Apple who are not just businesses They're brands made by visionaries who wanted and want to transform the world. If your business has a vision that audiences can really believe in and buy into, they're more likely to be successful. People want to buy into companies that they believe care. Empathetic companies. And that was highlighted in a global empathy index where businesses near the top of the list were among the most profitable and fastest growing businesses in the world. The top 10 companies also generated 50% more income and increased in value more than twice of the other companies in the bottom 10. And it was shown that storytelling was at the heart of this. And storytelling shows your company can be empathetic and is more likely to lead to your company's success. So experts say, just watch Steve Jobs on YouTube when he introduced the iPhone and told the story about why they were doing what they were doing back in 2007. Stories emotionally connect people and create loyalty. The best stories evoke emotional reactions. People generally relate and connect with those stories that they believe in and believe in the company and what it stands for. When people listen to a story, they feel what the protagonist of the story is feeling. So a good way of using a story to connect with the audience is to tell the story about the journey you've been on or the mistakes you and your company have made or a failure that wasn't going well for you. So people can understand the reality of the journey. And people will relate to this as we've all experienced mistakes and failures. And the more the audience relates to you and understands what went into creating your brand and your organization, the more likely they'll listen to you. And remember, humans typically make emotional, not rational decisions. So being able to evoke an emotional reaction through a story is a powerful tool. So transfer your vision into a captivating story and clearly communicating it using a sincere and open approach. And remember, stories give audience purpose and a motive to take action. An example of this was when Wharton Business School found that when participants in an experiment were asked to collect donations in a call center, those who told the donors how the money would improve the lives of others earned were able to collect more than double than the other group who were merely just collecting cash. The sense of purpose led to the first group earning so much more because of the stories they were able to tell invoked that response so in conclusion today it's difficult to find a successful brand that doesn't have a good story stories provide meaning they create context they evoke a sense of purpose most humans are more receptive to stories than compared to facts and data so stories help us to relate empathize and to remember and this is why businesses are increasingly recognizing the importance of storytelling and the leadership lesson here is as leaders, the more stories we can tell to create an emotional connection with our teams, the more likely we're gonna get buy-in to the journey we're taking them on. That's been the Leadership packing News. If you have any insights, information, or ideas, please get in touch. Joining me on the show today is former strategist and consultant, Andrea Sampson. She spent over 25 years working in marketing and advertising, presenting and developing strategies for Fortune 100 companies. Andrea is now the founder and CEO of Talk Boutique, Welcome to the Leadership Backer podcast, Andrea.
1: Thank you, Steve. Wonderful to be here.
0: I'm really looking forward to getting into the story about how Talk Boutique came about and the work that you do now with TED speakers. But before we get there, perhaps you can give our guests a little bit of a summary of your backstory.
1: Sure. So as you said, you know, I spent almost 25 years working in marketing and advertising, and most of it was working on the agency side. I worked for some of the largest agency networks in the world, and I worked on some of the largest brands in the world. My my role within the agency world was as a planner, and um, what that means is I was basically a strategist. So I worked on understanding uh, the basics of why humans make the decisions they do. We would do a lot of research Um, a lot of understanding um, at the human behavioral level and then we would come up with my me and my team would come up with the underpinnings of many of the advertising campaigns that you see in market um, which would go of course to uh, the creative teams who would do the actual advertising but we would do the strategy underneath it
0: how interesting what was it you found that were those behaviors that really caused people were there kind of I'm just going to start that again so were there a number of key behaviours that you could identify that cause people to make decisions?
1: Well, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that we, we... We buy, we make decisions based on emotions rather than needs. And I think, you know, this is not news to anyone, um, but we forget it all the time. We think that when we tell people the, the the features of a product or the features of a solution, that people will say, well, yes, I need that. Absolutely. And people do listen to those but the reality is we buy what we, what we want. It's a, it's a want versus a need always, which means that you need to appeal to the heart before you appealed to the brain. And that was, you know, 100% of the time that is true. So how can we get into the hearts of consumers in such a way that we help them to make the decision that is right for them, but was also in line with what we wanted them to do? So Mm, it was always that sort of, um, uh, dance, I guess a little bit, but what I found, you know, what was so interesting for me was that, you know, with spending all of the time in advertising and, um, I got to a point, you know, after about 25 years where I started to realize that some of the early goals that I had as I came into the world of communications and advertising, I wasn't going to be able to hit. And those goals were really personal and deeply held. And I'm not sure that even coming into that world, I fully understood them because they were really based on making a difference in the world because ultimately, Steve, I'm an idealist. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to change the world. And I saw this medium of advertising with its mass reach and thought, wow, now there's a way that if I can influence at a very core level, I can help do good in the world. And I tried. And I really tried. And the reality is, is that while there are many brands out there who do do good in the world, they're few and far between. And at the the end of the day, I really wanted to do good at a very core level, not trying to get consumers to do something else. And so I knew that, you know, as the idealist in a capitalist world, I had to start thinking a little differently about my future. And at this point, I was, you know, approaching my 50th birthday. And I started thinking, you know, well, I've got hopefully another 30, 40 years on the planet. What am I going to do with that time? And how can I start to address this this underlying need, goal that I had? And I had the very good fortune to be hired. Um, and what I mean by that is I was volu- I volunteered, but I had to go through a hiring process to be on uh, to, to work with the team at TEDx Toronto. Hmm. And I was vol- hired as a speaker's coach. I didn't know what a speaker's coach was, to be quite honest, never heard of it. But I was presenting three to five times a day and you know in my regular day because that's what I did all day every day I presented and so I thought well with a little bit of you know with a little bit of training I can um I, I'm sure I can do this well that first year that i worked with tedx toronto um i had i worked with um you know a geneticist who was working on the worldwide uh human genome project i worked with an architect who was who was um connecting um, the internet of things to our daily tasks um, to our walls to our alarm clocks to our windows um, I worked with a food specialist who was looking at the way in which we were going to move forward with our food. And I worked with one of the foremost experts in the world on body language. I was hooked. Yeah, And what I saw was that Here was, you know, I came to them thinking, okay, well, I can teach them, you know, probably how to present. But what I learned pretty quickly about myself was all this training I'd been doing for 25 years in advertising as a as a strategist, where I was getting to that core consumer insight. The reason why we do the things we do was the absolute perfect training to take a TED speaker and be able to shape their idea, because ultimately, an idea at its core is an insight. And so what I did in that first year was I became aware of this skill I didn't even know I had, which was taking insights and building stories around them.
0: It's kind of ironic because that's exactly what great marketing is, isn't it? it mm-hmm. It's about building those stories, creating the emotional connection with the audience so that they listen and pay attention to the advertisement you're creating, which I suspect is the, the parallel, right, to a TED speaker.
1: Well, that's exactly it. And I think when we're doing it as an advertisement, you know, we're not as uniquely aware of what we're actually doing, because it's contextual, right? Like in advertising, you're doing it because you've got a product, of brand that you're putting out there with the consumer. So you're putting the brand at the center, you're getting an idea that you can sort of, you know, build that, you know, take the brand idea and and, and put it out there in the world. But we don't really think of it in the same way we think of a, a TED Talk, which, you know, is often termed education or sorry, um, how, how do they term it? It's um, enter. Oh, God, I can never think of it. Uh, it's like it's the combination of entertainment and education. So however you put those two, edutainment, that's what it is.
0: Edutainment. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Edutainment. And, and so we never really think of an ad as we would think of a TED Talk, because a TED Talk doesn't actually want us to change our buying behavior or the things we're doing. It's often inspiring us to look at the world differently. So it's just contextual. Like it was it was really under making the leap that said, well, everything I've been doing in advertising is exactly what it was to create a good TED Talk. Um, but now, instead of trying to sell a brand, what we're doing is we're selling an idea. Yeah. And that idea has the ability to impact the world.
0: And do you notice any parallels in reverse where marketeers are now using the same principles of, Storytelling in their advertisements and their campaigns.
1: Well, you know, here's the thing as I've become, you know, really an expert in this world of not only storytelling, but building talks that create impact and create change. I now look at all the work that I did in advertising and wish I had known then what I know now. And I'm seeing that many marketers are beginning to, um, to embrace the idea of very purposeful storytelling. You know, storytelling in the ad world was always a means to an end, but we didn't really pay as close attention to how to build out that story. Now, There are so many different story arcs out there um, when you've only got 15 or 30 seconds to do an ad, which is, you know, your typical ad length. It's hard to use one of these very long story arcs. I mean, most of the story arcs actually, you know, are meant for screenplays or books. Um, Whereas, you know, in a 30 second ad, you just don't have time to build that arc. But you would, and you know, what we would often do is take pieces of it. But what I've learned in doing TED Talks and now working with very seasoned professional presenters is that it's really about building a story in five steps. And we we developed. So my company, uh, Talk Boutique, has developed a process that we call the story spine, which really allows for a speaker to take about, you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to three to four minutes at the beginning of their talk and set up the premise of a story that will hold the idea.
0: Really interesting. And that story,
1: yeah, the the spine is so important because what it does is it forces us as humans, first of all, to think about the things that create good storytelling because it starts off with what we call, um, or what we, it starts off with the environment. So, if you think of an environment, um, the environment is your sense of place. Now, most of us, when we're at a cocktail party or meeting up with a friend and we start telling a story, what do we do? We rush into we rush through the environment first of all, and we rush right into the purpose of the story. But if you take a moment and you step back and you say okay, let me just let me just set this up for you so i was um I was walking in the woods the other day. Now, it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. Um, You know, it was warm, but not hot. You could feel that the day was going to get really hot, um, but we weren't there yet. And the moisture in the air was activating the pine needles. So I could smell as I was walking that that musky scent of pine. And it was just a beautiful morning. And it was peaceful. Now, you're all on that walk with me, aren't
0: you? Totally. Yeah, I'm right there.
1: Right. Now, when you do that, what's happening is everybody is leaning in. But what's really happening is their brain has just gone to the place when they were last in the woods or a meaningful moment when they were in the woods. That smell, the sounds of the birds, the the feeling of the sun dappled through the trees. Everybody. Now, if I were to stop the story right there, and ask a question around how everybody felt, the likelihood is I've got everybody at the same place in that moment, which is in in a peaceful place, in a memory that is enjoyable. And from there, it's almost like I'm a mind reader now because now I'm controlling how they are feeling and what they're thinking.
0: It's very powerful, isn't it?
1: It's incredibly powerful. That's the power of environment. So once we have the environment, the next thing that we want to do is then say, well, who's there with you? Who are the characters? Now, you know, characters aren't just me and my friend. You can do that. But the thing is, you've robbed the audience of getting to know who you are and who your friend is. So what you want is just a little bit of a backstory. So there's me. I, You know, this was about five years ago. So I was in a, you know, maybe a, an emotional place. This was just at the breakup of my marriage. I'm making this up. Um, And um, my friend, who was a dear friend, who was supporting me through this very emotional time, her name was Shauna. And Shauna was a lovely human. She's still a dear friend of mine. But she's one of those people who's incredibly compassionate and helps people through really difficult times. So here we were on this early morning walk, going through the woods, and you know, we can hear the birds chirping. And I'm at that point in the separation where we are. You know, separating stuff. And so it's a difficult moment. And Shauna is helping me to see, you know, that I can let go of things that I thought were really important, but the reality is they weren't. Now, again, I just want to stress here, I'm fully making this up. Hey, <laughs> as listen, we go. You,
0: you may be making this up, but I'm still ironically with you because <laughs> of the compelling use of language.
1: Right. And so listen to that, right? The, the language I'm using. Every piece of language is is using rhetoric, really, right? I'm using a combination of metaphor. I'm using um, uh, emotional words, words that have um, meanings that go deeper than just the, the core idea of that word. I'm also using, um, in some cases, repetition. So I'm using metaphor all the way through it. So what we've gotten through now is the environment, the characters, and we've gotten to the issue or opportunity. That's the third part of the story spine. And this is the point, this is where most people jump into a story because this is the, the the real reason I could have just started it That's off. True, yeah. I could have started off going, you know, the other day I was walking in the woods and Shauna was helping me figure out what I was going to give to my ex, right? That because that is really the story except you can see I've built it out right and so then what you want the fourth part of the story spine is what we call the raising of the stakes this is where you get this is the difference between a good story and a great story because the raising of the stakes is that tension moment it's the and then and so you know as Shauna and I were talking about the things that I was going to to keep and what I was going to let go of, we came to that blanket, you know the one, the blanket that my family had given us, but it was also the blanket where we had our first date. And it was the blanket that had followed us all the way through our relationship. And there was a part of me that really wanted that blanket, but there was a part of me that actually didn't ever want to see that blanket again. And I was... Distraught in that moment, how could I let go of the blanket? Now, I think if you're following me, what you know is that blanket is really a metaphor for the relationship.
0: Yeah, it is. But it's it's ironic because it it still is also a physical thing. Yes, it's a metaphor, but actually, we we all can have. Something that we relate to in our our day jobs and our lives that are similar metaphors, that are physical things, but carry loads of emotion with them.
1: Right. And so, as I'm going through this story, you know, anyone who's listening to this, you know, they may or may not have lived a similar story, but they have lived everybody because, you know, here's the thing about stories stories are all meta stories. As humans, we all live the same stories the details are different and so everybody has ha- has walked in the woods or has watched uh, you know a movie or or um, seen a, an image of walking in the woods so there's some experience of it everybody has a good friend who helps them through things now you know you may not have as good a friend or maybe your friend is better but you have the experience of it the human condition is that we all go through relationships and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And heartbreak is common. And then the idea of having something that represents that. These are, you can see they're just, it's a meta story, right? So everybody, as I'm going through this story, everybody is having the same experience because they're living their own experience and my experience at the same time. And that's what makes it so powerful. So when you take the time to build it, when you take the time to use emotions through it, what you're doing is you're building a connection with anyone who's listening to that. Yeah. Now, we've gone through the four elements of the story spine. The fifth element is just the outcome. It's the way in which you tie it together. And so in this case, it could be that in that walk in the woods, you know, Shauna helped me to understand that the blanket was in fact a metaphor for my relationship. And as much as it was something that I was having a hard time letting go of, it was time for me to let go of it because I was letting go of that whole part of my life. And that blanket was in a part of my life that was no longer gonna be in my life. So it was time for me to let that go. And by the end of that walk, I had not only let go of the blanket, but I had let go of the relationship. I was ready to move on. So there's the there's the story spine in action. Yes. Now, when you're using a story like that, as you open, so one of the things that we teach, because the story spine is well, one element. But the other thing that I did when I, you know, started working with TED speakers is I started to understand that. Um, a TED talk really has a very has a very um robust underlying structure, and that underlying structure gets eliminated in the talk itself. But in the building of a TED talk or of any presentation, quite frankly, that structure is essential mm-hmm. and one of the things that I did was I developed something that I call. The Talk Canvas Narrative Framework, and it's a framework that helps speakers and anyone from, you know, boardroom presentations to investment pitches to TED Talks develop um, their underlying structure so that they can literally obliterate it with story. Yeah, But it's such an interesting thing because again, if I go back to, and this is a very long answer to your question, uh, which was the, the, you know, the, um, the commonalities to what marketers do. This was where I, I really wished I'd had this structure because one of the things that I found was when I would, when, you know, when I was in the agency world and we'd be building, let's just say a, a pitch to a new client and we would spend, you know, countless hours, you know, stressful hours, developing a presentation, and the question always was, is it understandable, and have we missed anything? And what the Talk Canvas does is it, in minute details, shows you all of the things that you need to be, you need to address in order for your presentation to land, to be compelling, and to have all the information that the listener needs in order to be able to take in what you want them to take in. And so it begins with the story spine, so it starts there, and then we move into, um, into what we call a core purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, so I wondered though, if you think about the notion of pitch, presentation and speech, is there a huge difference? and how you construct those, or do they follow a similar path, but just the vernacular changes?
1: So there are differences for sure. Right. Um, you know, a, a stage presentation, as an example, you have much more latitude to use less visuals And more storytelling, and you know that's why that's why TED talks are so incredibly powerful, right? So what they've done is they take the they take an idea, they wrap it in story, and then they tell us this amazing story, which then um, which then gets unfolded throughout the course of you know ten to eighteen minutes. When you're doing a presentation in front of a boardroom, as an example, you there's a a bigger expectation that you're going to get to the actual Um, you know sort of uh, core meaning or the core thing quicker you can weave story all the way through and you should but what you're doing is it's a bit more of a dance between the functional here's what I want you to know and the emotional here's how I want you to feel and so um, Nancy Duarte who's a TED speaker and also um, an amazing thinker developed what she called the shape of a of a presentation and and it really is a toggling between the the functional and the emotional. And so this is what we do in a presentation. We're using more visuals um, because often we need those visuals to keep the audience, the boardroom audience with us. But what we're doing is we're moving between the visuals and the story and the visuals and the story. Um, and then when you get into a pitch, which is a very different thing. Now, pitches, um, you know, if we're talking about investor pitches, there's a lot of things that are really required that the pitch, you know, that the, the investors know because they're putting up money. Um, but what's similar is story and idea still live in there. Um, and what you're doing, the, the the things you're telling them are a little different, but you're still using the commonality of story and idea. And that is true across A stage presentation, a boardroom presentation, and a pitch. That's the commonality. Some of the ways in which you do it are different.
0: Mm, Super. And the irony here is that we've learned through story from generations after generations after generations for thousands of years. But it seemed that certainly through my early part of my career, kind of in the 90s and in the 2000s, we seemed to lose that and only. Really, in the recent years, I've seen story reemerge as being quite a powerful medium of communication. What do you think the reason was for that?
1: You know, it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot. Uh, and, you know, in the 50s, so if we go back, so I think story has been, and, and humans, first of all, humans are hardwired to respond to story. And if we go all the way back into, you know, sort of the Stone Age, you'll see right. that story has been our medium of communication
0: you can see it written on the walls of caves and
1: exactly that's
0: how they used to tell their stories right
1: and when you look at those cave drawings what are they about they're about the emotion of what was going on right it was the the you know there was the victory of the hunt there was the sadness of the death like you could see it in these beautiful drawings on caves but what happened for us is humans started to become more industrialized and really you know we've had about 150 years of industrialization with the advent of the you know industrial revolution and with that what happened is we became much more efficient we were focused on efficiency stories the belief has been stories are not efficient now that's not true in fact stories are incredibly efficient but the belief was i just want the facts man Nothing about the facts. And so as we became more industrialized, our stories became about facts. And we got narrower and narrower and narrower on facts. What's happening now, and it's so interesting because we're at the dawn of the fourth industrial we revolution. Are, yeah. And this is this is the first industrial revolution where humans are not being industrialized. And so, and what I mean by that is in every other industrial revolution, humans became the labor force, right? Well, now what's happening is we're being released from the labor force. We're being allowed to go back to what it is we do best, which is to feel, to emote, to tell stories, to create and being in our creative place. And it's a challenging time, because we don't actually know how to do this anymore. We don't know how to be creators without that end goal. Like, I'm going to sit on the line, and I'm going to put this widget in this hole, and at the end of the line, out will come a car or a thing. Well, now there's robots doing that. We're not really very good at doing the same thing over and over and over again. That's actually not what humans are designed for. And so as we are coming back into what we are designed for, which is to be creators, to be creative, we're bringing back this this medium of storytelling. And I think it My own supposition is that this is the first, you know, process of training our brains to go back into the creative beings we actually are. It's
0: a great supposition, and one I, you know, having listened to you articulate it so well, can wholeheartedly concur with because the whole principle of management is made up too. Management only happened because of the industrial revolution, where we wanted to get some control and some measures and some guidance, which is also the reason why. We lost some of that great call cool leadership experiences along the way as well.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm listening to Yuval Harari's great book *Sapiens* right now, and I love. You know, there's a part in it where he talks about storytelling, and he talks about as humans, that's actually everything about our lives, our story. And he he goes all the way back to the beginning of the corporation, and he his supposition is that the corporation is really just a story that we've all wow, bought
0: into. Yeah. <laughs> That's such an ironic, isn't it? Gosh, you're right.
1: And it's true, right? Yeah. It's so true. But yet, so we don't see it that way, right? Because it's like, well, no, a corporation is a corporation. It's a legal entity. No, actually, it's what we've done is we've taken a story and we've turned it yeah. into a legal entity. Wow,
0: my, my head's starting to go into into crazy spins now, thinking of different things. <laughs> but it's, it's great that we're having this conversation because it's all really relevant to the role that we play when we're communicating with others, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's so important that we start to use our storytelling skills again. Because, you know, the more that we do this, this is where, you know, as I go back to my own journey into the world of, of speaker coaching, I started to understand that when I live in a place of emotion, that is where I'm creating the deepest, most meaningful relationships, whether those relationships be with, you know, people who are in my family, or with my clients. Because when we're starting with story, we're immediately starting with heart. And it's such a different place from business. You know, having been in the corporate world for 25 years, you know, I got to tell you, there was not a lot of room for anything that that you know smelled of of heart-centeredness and that's not the case anymore
0: no you're right and one of the things I remember from the conversation you and I had um some months back you were telling me that you know subject matter experts don't promote themselves very well is that a reason for them being dragged into the detail versus being thoughtful about their self-promotion
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, subject matter experts are, and I, that's one of the things I I love, I love, love, love working with deep subject matter experts. These are people, you know, and just to kind of frame that for the listeners, you know, these are people who are often in the back rooms and, you know, they work in science and technology and academia, you know, they're really, really good at doing the work Um, that they do. And many of them are working on things that are literally changing our world. But they're so busy doing that work. And they know often the importance of the work they're doing in the context in which they're working. But they don't look up and they don't tell the rest of us um, about this work that they're doing. They don't self-promote because it doesn't even occur to them to self-promote. But here's the thing when we don't understand what's actually happening in our world, when these deep subject matter experts who are doing work in the world that literally is changing our world, and we don't understand that, we are at the effect of media, which also doesn't know that, and who's choosing what we do know. And so it's a real challenge for us to you know, sort through what is real and what is not. So these deep subject matter experts need to be heard um, and we need to encourage them to come forward. And again, I come back to you, TED as a platform, also Singularity University, which is um, one of the partnerships that, um, that I've had through, through Talk Boutique. Um, these are places where these deep subject matter experts are finally getting, um, getting some airtime But of course, the challenges, because they tend to be in these very complex places, what do they talk about? They talk about the facts. They tell us the process. They bring us into the world that is so complex and so abstract that most of us don't really understand it. And so that's not helpful either. And really, this is where storytelling really shines.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely spot on. So from a story perspective, you must have had the opportunity to work with some really fascinating storytellers and some really fascinating people. Has there been a, a moment in your career as a coach or even as a, just as a listener to stories where you've gone, wow, that is the most compelling story I've ever heard?
1: You know, I, what immediately comes to my mind. So many years ago, I was working with a TED speaker. He is a cosmologist, which is so in the study of astrophysics study of the universe. Cosmology is the study of the actual universe. So not the stars, not the planets, not even the galaxies, the entire universe. So first of all, kind of just go like, wow, I don't even, I can't even contextualize that. Um, and this individual was, um, I mean, as most of the subject matter experts that I work with, incredibly smart. And this is sort of the story I hear all the time. Oh, I, I'm not creative, right? So here's an individual who says to me, um, I want to talk about the, the origins of the universe, but I'm not creative. I don't, I don't really know how to do that. And um, as I spoke with him and started to understand more about him, it turns out that he also played in a band and he does some visual art. Of course, it's not creative, though, right? This is often what I hear from scientists. Yeah, exactly. But what was also really interesting about him was, so didn't know this, this was sort of fun fact, the driest place on earth is the South pole, which also happens to be the coldest place on earth. Now, why is that even uh, a part of this story? Well, the reason is, is that as a cosmologist studying the entire universe, you need to have really powerful telescopes. Well, In order for a telescope to see the universe, you need to be able to have absolute um, absence of water, because water obscures our ability to see in distance. So in order to see the universe, you have to go to the driest place on Earth, which is the South Pole. And so this individual lived for almost a year in the coldest place on Earth and so interesting story first of all like what is it like to live in the south pole and then there's the story of the universe well working with this individual what we were able to do was to build a story that literally wove together the origins of the universe and his own experience of spending a year isolated in minus 100 degree weather on a on a in a station with about 30 other people as they literally begin to degrade because it happens every year with them. They cannot leave once. Um, there's only about two or three months of the year where they can actually get in and out of the South Pole. After that, um, planes can't actually get in. It's, it's too cold. And um, and so they can't land. It, the, 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 the steel would, would snap. So, listening to this story, it was phenomenal. It was such a beautiful, it was, it was literally poetic. And this is a scientist, he literally wove these two stories together. So that, that comes to mind. And it it was, it's one of those um, uh, great, for me, moments of working with a speaker where I saw the academic side marry beautifully with, the art of storytelling
0: Yes, yeah, great great story to refer on to as well. yeah so as a CEO and a leader in your own right, I'm now going to ask some questions of you in terms of getting inside of your leadership brain sure and thinking about how we can share some great tips and ideas with our listeners. So the first place I'd like to go Andrea is to ask you what your top three leadership hacks would be.
1: So number one is as a leader, you are not alone. So make sure you have a good network. Um, It's, you know, it can be very lonely at the top. People say that all the time. But if you think of leadership as a solitary sport, it's not only is it going to be lonely, you're not going to be very good at it. So the reality is all good leaders have a great network of people who are advisors, who who are supporters, and who help them. So make sure you've got your team in place. Number two, take care of yourself. you know you as the leader of anything um, are the most you know your you are the one who's making all of these decisions so how have you taken care of your brain today? Um, you know look at the self care that will help you be able to show up at your best? You know, are you meditating? Are you finding ways to work through whatever blocks you have? Um, you know, what is your routine? Are you exercising? What's your food intake like? These are things that people don't like to talk about because it's like, oh, you know, we, we live, we've we lived for so long in a world that says, you know, just sacrifice everything and and do it all. And that is the worst advice that you can get as a leader. Make sure you are taking care of yourself. And then number three, make sure that you have very clearly articulated and identified what your vision is. And that vision isn't just for your business, it's also for your life. So you need to have a vision that aligns with what your core purpose is As as a business person, but as a human as well. Because only then will you be able to continue to move forward with consistency. If your core purpose is out of alignment with who you are or what you believe, you will very quickly come to a point where you can no longer do it. You will run out of steam. So always asking yourself, do I have passion for this? Am I do, am I committed to it? Do I wake up in the morning knowing that I am moving forward on something that I deeply, deeply believe in? And if you can say yes to those things, every day you're going to jump out of bed and be excited for the work you're doing.
0: Really powerful stuff. That last one particularly also, I bet, makes your storytelling much easier as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: If it's intrinsically connected to something that's already emotional for you, then it's going to be so much easier to convey emotional stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: So the next part of the show we call Hack to Attack. So this is typically where something hasn't worked out particularly well, and it could be that it was quite catastrophic. But as a result, you now have created some core foundations or something that's working really well for you in your life and work. What would be your hack to attack?
1: So, you know, this past year, um, you know, we're recording this, you know, at a time where hopefully we're coming out of a global pandemic and this has been an incredibly difficult time, not just for me, but for everyone. Right. And, you know, if I look back to a year ago where we were here, I'm, I'm in Canada and, you know, in June of 2020, we were just coming out of lockdown and, um, you know, wondering what, how the world was going to recover. Well, here we are in June of 2021 and also, just getting out of lockdown and wondering how the world is gonna recover. But we're in a very different place. When emotionally a year ago, I was really in a place of, I'm not quite sure how we're gonna move forward. You see what had happened for me was I had um, made the choice to, um, to uh, take over the company solo. I bought out my business partner just prior to the pandemic. And suddenly the world fell down around us. And I didn't know whether or not I was going to be able to um, make a go of it with Talk Boutique. Because, you know, the reality was we were an event-based business. We worked with speakers and every event was canceled. And so a year later, I look at that and go, oh, thank God. Because, you know, sometimes things need to die in order for them to live. And what I mean by that is when you're in a partnership, what we had created together um, was was important, but it wasn't my vision. And I needed the, 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 the deconstruction to happen. And I'm not sure that if we had continued, the business had continued as busy as it was in the pre-pandemic time, that I would have had the time to really stop and think about my own vision and purpose. And so this past year of retooling and reimagining the business, I've had the time to do that. And so I look forward now with so much hope and so much um, gratitude for, for what happened a year ago. And so I can see now that What I'm creating is much more in tune and aligned with my own purpose and vision about shifting the social narrative, you know, working with thought leaders, working with those who are doing good in the world and helping them to get their stories out in the world so that we can all see the good that's happening in the world. And and contribute to that, become part of that. And a year ago, I'm not sure I would have been so clear on that. So, you know, that is, for me, it's sometimes the breakdown is really a breakthrough.
0: Wow, that's really powerful words. I love the whole principle of how you framed that about breakdown to breakthrough. So thank you for sharing. That's really powerful. You're welcome. The last thing we want to do is get a chance to do some time travel with you. So guess guests would have the opportunity to bump into their former selves at 21. So what would your advice to Andrea be if you could bump into her at 21?
1: So Andrea at 21 was driven and passionate and um, fearless. And, you know, if I were to go back and give her some advice, um, it would be to keep going, first of all, um, but also to slow down. Don't worry that everything has to happen right now. You know, that was, that was who I was. I was this, um, you know, young, young person who wanted to make my mark in the world. And I would tell Andrea at 21 that life is long and there is plenty of time and you don't have to get it right the first time. In fact, you're not going to get it right the first time. And sometimes the not getting it right is the whole reason why we do things, because it helps us to learn. Failure is such an important part. You know, I grew up in a family where we were very much driven to perfectionism. And so if I couldn't get it right, I moved on to the next thing instead of sticking with the thing and getting it right. And now, you know, Many, many, many years later, I've learned that when you focus on something and when you take the risk to do it and when you take the risk to fail, you are going to learn so much more than if you just abandoned it because it didn't work out right away. Yeah. So that's a big one.
0: It is. That's huge. So, Andrea, what's happening with Talk Boutique? Tell us about the journey you're on now and maybe how our folks can learn a little bit more about the work you're doing.
1: Sure. So um, Talk Boutique Now, I mean, we we are both a, a, a speakers bureau and we represent deep subject matter experts who are doing the work in the world that I've described earlier. And we are speaker coaches. Um, I have a team of coaches who work with me who have all been trained in my methodology. And what we do is we work with Thought leaders, we work with corporate leaders and we work with teams and we help them to become storytellers in every presentation or talk that they give. We train them uh, through one on one coaching and through programs that we aim at the, at the, you know, the core of, of of any organization. We bring the TED style into the corporate world, and this is a really powerful program. We're also, um, we also have um, an open enrollment um, program that we call the Thought Leader Academy for anyone who wants to work with us on a a one-on-one basis, but they might not quite be able to um, make the commitment to come in through a corporate program or, or to work with our coaches one-on-one. And that is a digital offering that includes group coaching. Um, and so the Thought Leader Academy, we do um, a couple of intakes a year. Our next one will be coming up in the fall, but we are doing some... Um, some work right now around getting the stories spine out there in a bigger way and doing some small trainings. So um, if you're interested in working with us, you can uh, go to our website at talkboutique.com or you can email me directly at andrea at talkboutique.com. Uh, either work, we love, love working with with individuals and with teams. So always happy to help out in whatever way we can.
0: And we'll make sure our listeners can hook up with you as well by putting your links for your website and email addresses and stuff in our show notes too.
1: Fantastic, Steve. Thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome, Andrea. I'm super glad that we have you on the show. The whole story spine and learning a little bit about how you are making connections through storytelling is a really inspirational one. So thank you for sharing it. And thank you for being part of the community on the Leadership Hacker podcast.
1: Oh, Steve, thank you. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking such amazing questions and for adding so much to today's call. It has been amazing. Thank
0: you. My pleasure.
1: All right. Take care.
0: I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event or you would like to sponsor an episode please connect with us via our social media and you can do that by following and liking our pages on twitter and facebook our handle there is at leadership hacker instagram you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker and at youtube we're just leadership hacker so that's me signing off i'm steve rush and i've been the leadership hacker